G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Martin Niles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, is back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having me once again. Uh, Martin, it's been a huge weekend and not without controversy, I might say. Uh, The Commonwealth Games, let's talk about the Commonwealth Games for a few moments. Mm. A wonderful presentation of Australia for the whole 10 or 11 days of the Games. But a little bit of a letdown for the closing ceremony. Did you get to watch it? I didn't get to watch it, Neil, but I was looking at some of the highlights uh, this morning and I've, I've been following a lot of the commentary that was going on and um, uh, look it, it seems like a shame that 11 days of a great sport um, seems to have been let down because everybody, it's almost universal, I think everybody's a little bit upset um, particularly that the that the athletes um, were not honoured by being shown as they walked into the stadium um, which is a shame, uh, but you know I don't know, I enjoyed the Commonwealth Games, I'm sure everybody does it was a, it was a success by all accounts I think in terms of the, the, the sporting events and, and how that was all Conducted, but I wonder sometimes whether I enjoy it because Australia always wins. <laughs> well, that's right. Either way, uh, there's some controversy <laughs> there too, isn't there? Because uh, the fact that Australia does so well in the Commonwealth Games, uh, the idea that even some nations who may be less wealthy than Australia perhaps don't have the capacity to compete on the same level—that is, that's an issue, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. But I, I've heard the argument that it's a good opportunity for many of those nations to get their sporting teams and their sports people into uh, serious competition so that they can practice. Um, and it gives them a good uh, platform for the bigger event of the Olympic Games. Um, and is actually a, not a bad thing, but a good thing. So the medal tally is one side of the event, uh, but uh, the opportunity for sports people around the world to go to a serious competition uh, is also excellent for their development and their training. I would say this, though, and, and nobody likes somebody who bashes on sport in Australia, I don't think, so I'm stepping into dangerous territory. But there is a question that I think needs to be talked about in relation to an event like the Commonwealth Games, and that is its affordability. Um, Queensland is in $80 billion of debt. The Commonwealth Games cost $2 billion. Uh, I think that when countries run these events, because they are really a luxury item, uh, it should be done when the country can or the jurisdiction can really afford it because it becomes a moral issue, I believe, in the sense that that money has to be paid by someone. It might be paid by the next generation. That will cause all kinds of budgetary issues into how the next generation is treated by the government in the future in terms of their welfare, in terms of their tax breaks and that kind of thing. So there's a moral question here. Is 11 days of a luxury item really worth that ongoing cost? I'm conscious that it's a sporting event and everybody loves it and it's great, but but it should be done uh, in a way that's economically responsible. 
I'm sure there's someone who crunches the numbers and realises that there's going to be a tourism benefit to Australia in the longer term and undoubtedly a wonderful presentation for not only the Gold Coast but for all Australians at the Commonwealth Games. So this idea of controversy last night uh, with some level of disappointment at a closing ceremony because uh, those two ceremonies, the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony, they do have an opportunity there to showcase the nation. And this idea that somehow or other we've been let down and the athletes were let down last night. Uh, this is what people are critical of, of, isn't it? I think so, yes, exactly. So it, it doesn't paint Australia in the amazing light that we would like to be painted in by the Commonwealth Games, I suppose, to get bang for buck on the first hand, but also because we're patriotic. Uh, we know Australia has so much to offer. And I do think that, uh, well, it is a fact that those opening and closing ceremonies are the most watched features of the Games. And so they are showcase opportunities. So I missed opportunity. And as I said, if we're spending the money, um, it, it, it should be done well. So it's a shame. Uh, it really is. But it's happened now. Um, and so I think that uh, it's just incumbent on us to learn the lesson and, and, and move on. Well, uh, for anyone who can remember Peter Beattie as the Premier of Queensland, uh, he was renowned for a number of things, but one of the things that he was quite renowned for was his ability to say sorry when he got it wrong, uh, which was right. quite frequent. And uh, so it's not a surprise <laughs> this morning, actually, to uh, to have him making an apology uh, for not uh, not making the, uh, the athletes, uh, not having the athletes on display uh, at the closing ceremony. So he says, uh, we got it wrong, and uh, sorry about that, uh, but time to move on. So he's always good with an apology. Uh, let's move on yeah. to Martin. Um, big international issue, uh, the US uh, sending mm. missiles into Syria. Uh, significant uh, that the US and the UK and France were a part of that coalition and making a big statement about chemical weapons. Uh, Australia out of this particular one and uh, I wonder whether you've got thoughts on on what's happening with that crisis in Syria. It's a difficult one, you know, because it, it, we don't have all the intelligence. We're, we're told what the intelligence is um, and we're shown certain images and video footage uh, of uh, of uh, that, that are intended to substantiate that intelligence, but you know, as lay people, people who are not involved um, in in that uh, high security and um, highly confidential briefing circles of of these world leaders, we we don't know all of the facts, and and we never will. Um, so it's very difficult to know for sure exactly what's happened. There's a certain element of trust in this, I suppose. Um, the presenting issue is that. Syria is such a tinderbox now. Um, I think we often forget that it can take just one tiny error or one small thing to spark a large-scale conflict. If we think about history in World War One, it was a, a sloppy amateur assassination of uh, Archduke Franz Joseph Ferdinand in, 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 um, in the Austro-Hungarian Empire that uh, sparked just a chain of events where the world ended up at war. Uh, which was incredible, but that was because there were so many simmering tensions all around Europe, and that one act triggered something else, which triggered something else, which triggered something else. Next thing you know, uh, you have uh, the Great War, they call it, a uh, terrible, terrible conflict uh, that went on for, for, for five years. Um, and I think that in Syria there is uh, an emerging situation there which has so many powers against each other, which has so many interest groups at war, where there's economic problems. You think of US and Russia are the big players. 
Uh, and the US is sending a signal to Russia that they're still the strong policeman on the beat and Russia better watch out and Russia's beating its chest. And so that's sort of the big overarching picture. But of course, what's happening uh, closer to the ground is you've got Shia Iran, you've got Sunni Saudi Arabia and Turkey, then you've got Israel thrown in the middle of that. And then you've got everybody sort of scratching their heads about economic interest because it's an oil-rich part of the world. Um, there's so much going on. And you think if one of these airstrikes from the US, you know, a wayward missile ended up killing a Russian soldier who's stationed there or something, how's that going to play out? Uh, you think of any number of uh, situations in which Russia would have to respond, the US would have to respond. So I, I think we need to pray about that conflict in the Middle East uh, because there's a sense in which the use of chemical weapons has to be stopped uh, and the US is keeping true to its word that it will always respond powerfully when that happens. But of course it's a tinderbox and I'm not sure what could happen next. And I don't normally talk to you about big international uh, foreign uh, affairs issues like this, but uh, there was some suggestion I read in one report that maybe the US is planning a quick departure out of Syria and and this is sending a significant message about chemical weapons. But, uh, but of course, uh, Australia will be in the mix when it comes into all of the discussions here. Uh, I imagine that Australia would have been asked to be a part of that coalition uh, sending the message about chemical weapons. And, and, uh, and clearly, uh, we've decided to stay out of this particular fight. Well, that may be so, Neil. Um, the other side of it, of course, is that the UK, France and the US um, are sort of bigger powers militarily than Australia. So... There's sort of a signal being sent, as I said. You know, Russia is the, the big player in all of this, isn't it? So there's a big signal being sent by that strong military uh, alliance that's been formed there. And perhaps perhaps Australia wasn't part of that show of strength because we're smaller. Um, but again, if the government decided not to get involved, it may have been a political thing or maybe the intelligence wasn't strong enough. Again, that's the issue here. We just don't have all the information or the certainty around that information that we'd like. You know, what Malcolm Turnbull sees at the briefing is going to be very, very different to the pictures that come across our screen. Um, but, you know, it has to be said that the humanitarian issue in that part of the world is disastrous um, and very, very grave. Uh, and if this, uh, these strikes are genuinely being done in the best interest of that issue, then it's hard to say that they're wrong. But if the simmering political tensions are really what's driving it, then uh, that's not ideal. It becomes a big geopolitical fight between superpowers. And, uh, and uh, yes, look, if that's the problem, uh, you know, we need to pray because who knows where it'll end. Uh, that's right. Uh, Martin, let me ask you about the... Uh, presence in Australia of Ryan T. Anderson. Now, he's written what is a very controversial book, When Harry Became Sally. And, uh, and he's going to be speaking at a number of events. Uh, you're quite familiar with Ryan T. Anderson. Uh, he really has a lot of good things to say, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's actually brilliant. He's one of these guys who, when you sit down and talk to him, as we did in Melbourne, we launched in Melbourne on Friday just past, and, uh, and you speak to him, you sort of feel the fog in your brain sort of emerging into clarity because you've just got this razor-sharp way of explaining issues and bringing clarity to them. And I think the transgender thing is one of those things that we look at and throw up our hands and say, you know, perhaps this is insane or what do we do about this or what about my kids? Um, Ryan really brings great clarity to all manner of issues around that. I mean, he talks about whether or not you can even change your gender, um, to what extent that's possible. Uh, he talks about why there's been such an incredible explosion 
uh, in transgender issues in the last few years, and particularly uh, the most uncanny of things, the massive explosion in young people and children presenting as gender dysphoric. Um, and what's driving that, why it's happening, how we should respond, uh, uh, how uh, it is being dealt with at present and whether that's good enough. Um, and, and he even goes into some discussion about, you know, what is male and female? Because uh, as a church, even, we're, we're losing sight of that distinction between the sexes. God made us male and female in his image um, and made us at different times and different reasons and all that kind of thing. And there's a little touching on that as well to bring real clarity to all of the issues around this. And I think parents would be interested because he talks about how to respond. Uh, I think people who are involved in any kind of policy position with education with young people would be very interested because he talks about uh, what's a compassionate but, but truth-telling way to deal with these issues. Um, it's very, very enlightening. And, and what we try to do at ACL events is on, with these issues, we try to cover a few layers. We try to give people the scientific understanding in ways they can, ways they can, under, ways they can comprehend. We try to give them sort of an almost apologetic element, so how to argue this, how to talk about it, how to think about it, but also a biblical basis. Uh, we always make sure that we bring the biblical basis into this because the fact of the matter is, on the transgender issue and the confusion around it, for Christians, it's a bit of an I told you so moment because we already know from the creation narrative that God made us male and female in his image. We already know the purpose God has for the sexes. Uh, and that's described in Scripture. And so it's an I told you so thing. We already knew this. So the scientific uh, evidence, the, the philosophical stuff, it really just proves what we already knew. And it's nice to have that holistic approach to the issue. Well, it's nice to know that when you've got the science on your side and uh, the issues of morality, uh, those sorts of things, as you say, and then there's the biblical argument. I mean, all of the planets do align uh, for a Christian stance when it comes to uh, gender and sexuality here. But uh, as you say, there is certain need for uh, taking a very gentle and humble approach to this because uh, arrogance gets you nowhere. What are your thoughts for parents when they're, when they're talking about these issues? Because there, there is some good strength to be able to make a stand, but doing that in a certain gentle way. Absolutely. And Ryan talks a lot about this. I mean, he talks firstly about, um, he says, you know, when kids go into schools, these days, um, this kind of ideology is rattling around. And so the first thing parents need to do in talking about it, uh, particularly at home, is to make sure that the thing that is, that is in the back of the minds of their kids is uh, the creation story um, and is uh, God's design for, for the human race. So they need to be well taught on a biblical grounding. And Ryan said that in Melbourne on Friday night, because when they go into uh, the schoolyard, and they, they hear from teachers and the programs that are running uh, ideas that are completely contrary to that, uh, which are actually destructive, um, because as you say, the planets align. It's not just biblical, but the science completely proves it and, and backs us up. Uh, when they hear those things, uh, they've got some resistance built in already. Uh, they're not simply lambs being led to the slaughter, if I could put it that way. They're not just going to hear it and fall for it straight away. So that's that's a really important thing. I think the other side of it is that People uh, who experience, parents who have children who claim to experience gender dysphoria, which is very real, um, they can, and children themselves, can be in a very fragile emotional state um, and can be confused about what to do. So I think we need to discuss these issues with those people in a way that is friend to friend, um, not a way that is uh, unfeeling, not a way that is discompassionate, 
or in a way that is uh, overly is condemning and, and insensitive. And Ryan is very clear about that as well. And he, he gives some of the frameworks around which you can talk and just talk about some of the stats, for example. You know, 90-odd percent of, of kids who present as gender dysphoric, they grow out of it, particularly with puberty. Um, so that's really encouraging for any parent who's concerned about this, particularly if they have a child in this situation. So is it worth putting your child on a on a uh, course of puberty blockers or going down this thing and letting them wear a dress if they're a boy? Or, or is it actually better just to hold off, calm and wait? And it's those sorts of statistics that we can be armed with that can be really practically useful. And there is still some uh, seats available for Saturday in Adelaide and next Monday in Brisbane. So uh, Ryan T. Anderson, the author of When Harry Became Sally, uh, for those who are living in those capital cities, Adelaide on Saturday, uh, next Monday in Brisbane, uh, people can easily book a ticket for those, can they, uh, Martin? Yep, that's right. So just go to acl.org.au and I would say this Melbourne's sold out, Sydney is sold out and it hasn't happened yet. Um, so if they want to get into Brisbane or Adelaide, Adelaide this Saturday, Brisbane next Monday, um, you know, get onto it straight away. Okay, simply Google the Australian Christian Lobby and there'll be a link there how you can get some tickets to see Ryan T. Anderson and his presentation talking about his book uh, and, uh, of course, a controversial book too, but uh, certainly one that uh, that certainly a lot of people will be interested in getting a hold of, no doubt, uh, when Harry became Sally. Uh, always good getting an update. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks for taking some time to update listeners today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always great. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.